0: Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome to Automotive Insiders presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. Happy to be here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we have two experts in the field. We have an interesting topic today. Let me just have my guests introduce themselves. Tom Madonna is with us today, and Tom's been on before, and Daniel Davenport. So, Tom, why don't you refresh our listeners' memory about who you are, what you do, and a little bit about how you got started in automotive, and then we'll talk to Daniel. Tom Madonna, welcome back.
2: Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. And thanks, listeners. I'm Tom Adana. I'm an industry executive advisor for SAP, which basically is a long acronym for customer advocate. So, ultimately, uh, our job is to take uh, the, the business imperatives of our customers and put them in words and, and value propositions that help them utilize technology in, in regards to executing and getting the best value and, and, and imperative out of it. And, and, and part of that is advocating internally as well as externally. So again, we, we have uh, value propositions as well as industry propositions, but I do a little bit of both. As far as automotive, I've been in automotive uh, about 25 years. I've been in industry about 30. Um, I joined uh, the dark side uh, o- only recently. Uh, this point mm-hmm. in time i have been in the uh, partner ecosystem for uh, about 30 years doing all the implementations, uh, some 500 or so. And uh, moved over uh, into selling the software. As far as how I got into automotive, I actually got an automotive via procurement. So I'd actually done a very uh, mm-hmm. similar to, uh, to Bill Newman, my colleague, uh, was in uh, doing uh, aerospace and defense, and uh, ultimately had done a uh, procurement uh, job with, uh, with one of them. And I got a knock on the door and said, Hey, I need you to come up to Detroit and help us do the same thing up here. And so I moved from doing uh, procurement and maintenance and engineering uh, on on aerospace into automotive, and uh, so be it
1: fascinating. I didn't know you were also an airplane guy first. Very interesting segue. Tra- it's all transportation, right? Daniel yep. Davenport. So happy to have you back. We spoke recently when you're on a show with Bill Newman and love to have you reintroduce yourself to our listeners in case. Daniel, I'm going to dare to say there might be five people in the OESA listenership who don't remember who you are. Shame on them. So why don't you introduce yourself?
3: <laughs> Thanks so much, Bonnie. It's great to be here. Daniel Davenport. I'm a client partner at Cap Gemini. I work in the automotive sector, and we help uh, our clients really get the value out of the new systems, business models, and capabilities as we look to, to really grow and evolve the, the mobility model. Um, I've, I've been in uh, the automotive space, really ever since I was a child, my family's uh, a dealer owner of four dealerships up in north state uh, north of uh, South Carolina uh, since nineteen thirty seven so we've been in the business for a long time professionally. I've mainly worked in the digital agency space, uh, experience strategy space, and I've worked with a lot of automotive companies as they try and bring that up. Uh, into uh, this new world of data and customization. And it's just an exciting time to be in this segment. So I'm I'm very excited to be here. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Daniel. 1937 in the dealership business. Early. Family has seen so many changes, haven't they?
3: We had the uh, Tesla model early on where there was one car in a shop window downtown. You went in, you looked at it, (laughs) Uh, You ordered it. You picked out which color of black you wanted, and it just got right to you.
1: Henry Ford, you can have any color as long as it's black, Black. right? Exactly. Very, very interesting. Well, wow. I bet your relatives are thinking how things have changed. My my most recent, I've owned five Zs, if you know what a Z is. This is a 370. And I bought it through an ad online two weeks after I saw the same car, which got me excited, and they sold it. Without giving me a chance to bid on it. This one came up two weeks later at a dealership about 20 miles closer to where I live here in Durham, North Carolina. And I called them and I said, don't you dare, don't you dare sell that car. I'm coming in with a trade-in of a really great Z and a check. Don't you dare sell it to anybody till I get there. And they held it for me. And then the next day after we negotiated, I was picking it up. I said, and I want a red bow on the hood, just like they have on the ads on TV. I want to pick up my car with this huge, and they found a red bow. So I got there and took pictures. They said, but you can't take it home. We're keeping it for somebody else. And it was... that's, that's there you what go. It is, that's right? the
3: dealer customer service <coughs> equation customer right experience. there. Customer experience.
1: That's absolutely right. right. So now let's go to our first question in our conversation here. I'm going to pose it to Tom Madonna first. Tom, how have OEMs been interacting with their suppliers, their dealers, their retailers, capturing data about, oh, boy, the vehicle, the driving habits, the locations visited? What may be more important than that? What is the data worth? And what are the new ways that others in the supply chain are tapping into that data? I don't know whether this is exciting or scary. Tom Madonna, take us through this and then we'll ask Daniel what he thinks. Tom.
2: Actually it's, it's great that you bring it up as we're uh, approaching or, or this will actually uh, debut after Halloween and talking about <laughs> scary things, but uh, the data in your car should scare you. And, and, and the reason for that is it does a lot of things. And, and what we're finding is the automobile Uh, let it be the OEM or anyone tapping into the bus of the automobile can pull down quite a bit of information about you, quite a bit of information about the vehicle, about the driving habits of the vehicle, the speed, the locations you were at. Um, There's a big conversation that uh, has uh, gone on about, you know, what does that particular data mean? You know, when you start talking about social media and logging and localizations that happen on your, on your smartphone, well, if your smartphone is your car, you know, do you not own your car? Do you, therefore, do you not own the data that's in the car? Well, part of that is going to be something that's going to be interesting. And, and part of that is just only been an OEM side. But as you start to see some of the things coming out, like the insurance providers, uh, some of your retailers who are actually tapping into that data, data stream, they're actually being able to pull things for you. Now, they're, they're giving you an incentive to basically get that data in regards to getting a cheaper insurance policy or uh, lower premiums. Uh, Or in some cases, different execution. But what happens when, you know, that data gets used or abused and done something else? I mean, there hasn't been but a couple, three or four movies that have been out that have been quote, quote, scientific and and science fiction in regards to tapping in and and hacking the vehicle and shutting the brakes down or shutting the, uh, the engine down, et cetera. I mean, it is an open port. And so therefore, as you start to see it, you know, who owns that data? What is that data being used for? And how the execution is going to be needed? It can be a very big benefit in the right hands.
1: Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And we see so many investigative procedural TV shows, right? Daniel and Tom, where they are tracking, well, not only just what toll did, did he or she go through, where did the car go, you know, tracking a GPS, but what was the what was on board in terms of data. Fascinating and I'm glad you acknowledge scary. Thank you, Tom. Daniel Davenport, love to get your POV on this. Join us.
3: Yeah, sure. So, right now, most of the vehicle data, data is the providence of the OEM. Uh, they maintain a very tight control over it. And in some ways, you get a, a little bit as an end user. You may get some as a partner. It's not very easy to get at it right now. You need, a, uh, in some ways, a dongle against the ODD. P two port, or um, there's there's a partner that we have, Autonomo, that has done a lot of deals directly with OEMs to unlock that data coming from the OEM itself. But there's it's really wide open as to how this is going to mature. Who's going to get the data? Is that data going to be autonomized so that it or automa? Uh, uh, anonymized, anonymized. Thank you so much. You're welcome. De-identified. How about that? (laughs) I like Um, it. So that it can be used uh, uh, to aggregate and pool data for things like smart city purposes or, Highway control, traffic control, it's its really wide open where we are right now and where we're going. And it's going to take everybody coming together and trying to decide what that future looks like to prevent it from being scary and and have it be useful and useful for everyone in the ecosystem.
1: Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. What do they know about me? What are they going to do with it? What am I telling people? You know, we often talk about people saying, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. I don't want to be on Twitter. I don't want to be on LinkedIn. Well, <laughs> the, that's, the, the horse is already out of the barn, right? The, the, the gate is closed. We are part of a data-driven world. Yep. And I heard a couple of years ago, Tom and Daniel, you may remember this, when people said, if somebody Googles your name and they can't find you, in effect, you don't exist. Sure. They don't exist in this world for good or for bad. Let's go on to our second question in this segment. I love this. Customer experience has changed over the last year. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. What is the industry doing? I'll address this to Tom and Donna first. What is the industry doing to boost those interactions? We're talking vehicle usage, scheduled service, buying habits, the new concierge services, including telesales, seven-day vehicle drop-off trials. That's interesting. Test drives, touchless selling, et cetera, so they can exceed expectations. And that's what's going to keep these dealerships in any shape or form, right, Daniel? Alive is exceeding customer, even if the customer doesn't know what their expectations are anymore. Tom Davenport, start us off, please.
2: So one of the things that I've seen that's interesting, even even an article, uh, two articles that came out today, one of which was uh, Tesla has dropped the seven-day return policy uh, based upon everything going on. They're now completely understanding and fulfilling that the the vehicle will basically do what the customer wants to do, so therefore they don't need the seven-day drop anymore. Second, I think the, the thing when it comes to concierge is the thing, things like Carmana and, and other uh, attributes that are out there and other other people who are actually selling. Getting back to your customer experience with your with your Red Bow. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually uh, went last year and, and I saw a vehicle, loved it, basically went, tried to get it uh, ordered. It took me nine months for delivery. Whoa. So that customer experience, and I'm not going to mention you know, which brand it was, but at this point in time. You know, then you see things going on where now there's a new structure to pre-order. So let's put a vehicle out and let's do a pre-order. Let's gather a couple hundred dollars to have the right to basically, you know, have that vehicle done. So the big thing right now is how do you attract that customer? And two, how do you maintain that customer? Is that customer going to be there for life? Is that customer going to execute? We've seen the McKinsey study come out in 2016, reaffirmed in 2017, you know, that the customer experience is, is basically being driven, and it's going to be somewhere between 450 and $600 billion of aftermarket spend on, on customer vehicles between now and 2030. As you start to look at that in regards to that annualized spend, it's going to be retaining the customer because the customer is going to keep their vehicle longer. It's going to be able to make sure the mm-hmm. customer is there for life and what you need to do to enhance that customer experience besides the red bow you know is this going to be a, going to be a vehicle for for a, a or is it going to be something i mean again my wife's vehicle and i'll just bring another example my wife's vehicle has been in the shop for four weeks on a ordered part that is non-essential to the working vehicle but as customer service i've had a loaner car for those four weeks but i've been that she's been driving back and forth to work so it was you know a hassle when we did it but at this point in time you can see some of the pandemic and some of the supply chain execution but the customer service was making sure that i wasn't out of pocket in regards to that customer uh, or that customer experience in regards to what happened with us
1: interesting wow four weeks for a non-essential part <sighs> no comment yeah supply chain they've been affected no question about it daniel davenport please join me what are your thoughts
3: Sure. Uh, we've seen we ran a big study in the spring uh, of buyers' uh, perceptions of cars and car ownership and the whole experience. And what we found was there was a, a large number of people that decided car ownership was the way for them to stay safe, stay healthy and, and prevent, you know, some of the issues that you might have with a shared uh, rider economy. So as we've seen that, we've also seen a renewed interest of younger uh, consumers to, to buy a car, maybe even for the first time. And with those consumers, you're seeing a heightened uh, desire for a digital interaction, mm-hmm. very digital anyway. And that contactless commerce has really pervaded all aspects of the buying journey, research to purchase, and I think that you saw a number of the automakers here in the North America respond quickly with advertisements, uh, even as early as the, as the late spring, where they were showing um, more of a virtual showroom, more of a tele-purchase uh, process. But then um, as, we, as we look into the future, I think you're really going to see ownership become much more of a uh, focus in in the market, uh, you know, when we talk about customer journey, we used to talk about to the point of purchase, and then there was a dot dot dot, and then the the resale. I think that ownership segment of the the customer journey is going to be a lot more interesting and potentially a lot more lucrative as the ecosystem expands and you start having in-car commerce, in-dash commerce, and a whole host of infotainment options uh, for that owner to take advantage of uh, while they have the car and they're driving the car.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. A lot of new perspectives there. Thank you, Daniel. So we just covered customer experience. Now let's talk about the employee experience, which has been part of getting back to work, right? Is it safe? Is it okay? How many employees do you really need? Who is mandatory to be on site? What can you do if they come back, if they don't come back? Are we enhancing? Are we seeing a new contingent workforce, a new gig workforce for people who decide I'm not going back? So let me read this statement and let's see what you think first, Tom Dav- Tom, Tom Madonna. So employee experience has evolved as the automotive industry has reopened, which I just explained. What is the new normal for the workforce and safety needs within? In the industry at the, and let's go through this, the plant, the office, the dealer, and the service center. Tom Madonna what are you observing?
2: So I actually sat on a, uh, a panel uh, of a podcast last week uh, and actually walked through five of the largest dealership um, consortiums uh, on the East Coast. And they all walked through their quote, quote, playbook in regards to execution and, and safety in regards to reopening the dealerships. In all cases, but one, every considered dealership closed in regards to those consortiums one of Mm. them did not the Mm. one that did not was because the state's regulation basically required them as a essential business to stay open but in all cases every single one of them had a different slightly different playbook in regards to the execution from what the what the employees needed to do temperature checks execution Mm. ppes how the execution occurred um changing up uh, schedules in regards to uh, service bays being open and having an open service pay per service bays in regards to uh, the clients. There was situations of providing, you know, uh, a mask and or gloves as people were walking in dealerships. I think part of it that was interesting about the whole conversation was what was most important to those ownerships of those mm-hmm. dealerships for their employees. And they wanted to make sure that each employee was taken care of, each employee felt safe coming back, that each employee made it a priority to make sure the customer was safe when them came back. And so it was a, it was a good approach to the execution though a little different, every single one was employee central. And so part of what we saw was different execution models, but as you start to think about it and you start to think about, you know, what makes uh, an employee stay, And, you know, you look at the surveys, you go out there, you know, the one big thing is not salary. The one big thing is people typically leave their job because of their boss. And so if your boss is basically caring about you, caring about your safety, putting you number one first in regards to the, you know, the human capital or the human asset, then you're going to start to see uh, that as a ripple effect in regards to them and their experience as well as them staying with you. And so I think part of what you see with the industry is – similar to what's going on with with everyone everyone's starting to get back to whatever the normal happens to be but this safety protocol this execution is going to be a new facet in regards to how employees look at their employer and how they basically look at coming back to work
1: no truer words were ever spoken daniel davenport please join us thoughts agree or disagree i'll just put it out there i think i know where you're going to go go ahead
3: Sure. Well, I mean, I completely agree. And that is, you know, first and foremost, what everybody I hear uh, talking about is employee safety and a focus on enabling that uh, through whatever means, uh, protocols, technology, whatever it may be. I'll I'll take a slightly different angle on it and say that the acceleration that we're seeing for consumers is also going to be felt for employees. In many ways, um, technology and digitization didn't reach a lot of the frontline employees in and, and a lot of these environments. And I think that you're going to see that really change as we get um more individualized products and services, the front line are the people that are going to be interacting with your customers. And they need that data. They need to know who they're talking to preferences, likes, past purchase history. Those kind of capabilities are going to play an important role in driving the overall customer experience. You know that the next time you go to get a car, you want a red bow. So the employee that's working with you needs to understand your you know, strong preference towards that and be able to deliver without having to ask. So I think the tools that we give the employees are so important now and being able to take those tools and walk around with them. iPads, you know, whatever it's going to be, walking out onto the, the showroom floor or out on the lot or in the plant, um, I think we're going to see a big uh, uptick in the digitization and availability of data for those employees.
1: Thank you very much. And then the question is, how do they embrace what the tools are, what the attitude is, what the perspective? I don't think there's enough understanding that each individual person who works for a company, whether it's on-site or remotely, is a representative of that brand. That's and right. This goes across industry. So what did they do with those tools? Tom Madonna... Always a pleasure. I learn so much from you every time you're on Automotive Insiders. Daniel Davenport, a recent recent newcomer to Automotive Insiders. Just such a pleasure to meet you and welcome you. And we're going to do a shout out to Adam Slayman at OESA. Let's everybody give applause for Adam. Put together another great. And Bill Newman helped us with all of the episodes we're recording. Well, I'll say we're recording a bunch. There's Bill. We're still recording here. Bill, you can wave hi and unmute yourself if you want to say Hi. Oh, he's gone. And uh, thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire. It's time to say goodbye. So all I'll say is drive safe, drive smart, and do the same in every aspect of your life. We're still in the pandemic. Everybody hope to talk to you again soon. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.